This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, May 11th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride plugs along with goals and objectives. Public Works prepares for a busy season. An update from Colorado Communities for Climate Action and a mountain weather forecast. But first, Telluride lost a member of its community this week. Longtime local John Mosser passed away at his home in his favorite easy chair, surrounded by family, after losing a battle with pancreatic cancer. He was 73 years old. According to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office, Mosser moved to Telluride in the mid-70s and worked for rice lumber through its transition into alpine lumber. He stayed with the business until his diagnosis in 2020. The coroner's office notes Mosser lived the Telluride dream, adding he will be greatly missed. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Mosser is survived by his children, Clifford and Mitch, and his loving wife, Yvonne. There are the basics for what local government does. Maintain roads, provide sanitation, law enforcement. But how does the government know what to prioritize? What is the vision for the coming year? That's where Telluride's goals and objectives come in. Each year, Town Council comes up with a document stating its aims and priorities for the coming year. This week, Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson gave an overview on how the town is doing when it comes to completing those goals in the first quarter. Really excited on the front end here to, to report out that uh, basically 85% of uh, goals and objectives are in progress, um, ongoing, or complete. And so I think that's a great number coming out of Q1 um, to report out. As a framework, Town Council breaks its goals and objectives into four buckets with subcategories underneath. The first is preserve community with the subcategory of pursuing affordable housing opportunities. Under 1B, commencing construction on Voodoo uh, affordable housing project is uh, indeed uh, underway. Uh, we can hear the, the peers being driven on a daily basis. We've got a lot of utility work going on. Uh, but that uh, project has truly broken ground. And uh, thanks to the team that's been leading that up, um, we are also uh, excited to uh, uh, reflect again on the fact that we just received a $2 million grant from Department of Local Affairs at the state level to uh, help out with that innovative project. Keeping on with the affordable housing train, Robson points to completing design and beginning construction on the Canyonlands Tower House project. Certainly not uh, anywhere near construction yet, uh, here in Q1, but um, we have gone out to RFP. We have uh, received our first public-private partnership uh, proposals back, and uh, excited about the, the the team who has proposed there. It's a it's a significant uh, and robust national and, and statewide team, and so again, we're in the midst at the staff level of evaluating that response uh, to bring to council here quite soon. But I think we've are looking at a very viable project right now. When it comes to protecting the character of the community, Robson notes they're in the process of updating the Telluride Comprehensive Plan. We had to kick that off first with the 2023 vision plan that was uh, a big effort in the winter and even into the spring here of soliciting upwards of 1,200 uh, survey responses by our our planning and building department. Um, You as town council approved uh, that 2023 vision plan. And now our next steps are really to begin um, 
moving into uh, the consultant work on, on the comprehensive plan uh, that we're uh, looking to kick off here in the late summer of 2023. Finally, work on the Southwest Area Master Plan. We uh, have sat down with uh, Telluride Ski and Golf, or TSG, um, Chan Horning and, and his uh, leadership uh, at the planning level within TSG and have agreed to very closely collaborate on the, the planning within that Southwest area zones, specifically around Lift 7 and Carhenge. And I think that's a really important um, move for both of our organizations um, to make to ensure that we are working as closely as possible in that critical base area of of uh, town. In the bucket of protecting health and quality of life, Robson points to in-progress work of implementing elements of the Climate Action Plan and supporting mental health first aid and trainings and promoting available resources. Bucket three is addressing critical infrastructure needs. Robson says there are a number of projects in the works, but also a long way to go. There are major, major capital improvements in front of us related to our water infrastructure uh, and water treatment facilities. And again, that's a different conversation, but very much in progress as as, uh, as we move through this uh, first quarter. Let's see, um, touching just uh, quickly on our refining our parking plans regionally. Uh, very excited to see that uh, license plate reader technology implemented now within Silverjack. Uh, you just drive in, you pay, and if you don't pay, you'll get a parking ticket in the mail eventually. <laughs> It's about that simple. Uh, no arms, no uh, impediment to uh, sidewalks and uh, excited about our new uh, parking systems that will uh, hopefully be implemented pretty seamlessly later this summer around town to replace our old uh, kind of aging uh, parking kiosks. Robson highlights gondola planning that will continue. Some interesting conversations coming up. I think the uh, rubber is going to hit the road sooner than later on some discussions on uh, how we break up uh, that uh, ultimate cost between the different uh, municipal and uh, TSG parties. While not everything on the list is done, Robson says it's a good start. And it's only May. There's a lot of year left to keep on working. Public Works presented to Telluride Town Council this week, and they're hard at work. With an update on their forthcoming project, KOTO's Gavin McGough has more. If Public Works is busy all winter clearing streets and hauling snow, it's then busy all summer repairing the damage caused by the ice, rock slides, and hazardous conditions of the cold season. First and foremost on the summer repair schedule are emergency measures at the wastewater treatment plant, says Director of Public Works Kyle Beck. Um, this winter was really harsh on that uh, facility. Several leaks throughout the building, several leaks caused power outages, so just a lot of issues at the plant. Beck spoke before town council this week to discuss Public Works summer projects. Much of the update focused on the wastewater treatment plant and efforts to keep the plant operational while town plans for a full-scale and expensive facility replacement. One improvement made in the last few months was addressing a rodent infestation. What I thought was the wastewater treatment smell, it actually went away when we got rid of all the, the rats and all the, the just the above the offices and just the amount of dead rats, feces, all that stuff that's above there. Um, just to know that was probably some of the issues about, you know, personnel getting sick. Um, but that's been taken care of, uh, care of uh, huge props to America because that was not a, 
fun job to do, but he tackled it. Other stressors affecting the plant include restaurants sending high volumes of grease and fat down drains, clothing and other large objects clogging sewer passageways, and large volumes of groundwater flooding town pipes through leaks or breaches during construction projects. All of these issues can be addressed by residents and businesses changing their behaviors, which Beck says will save money in the long run. That's all, um, you know, triggering some of these uh, new requirements for the plant. I think if we can tackle this as a community, there is a chance that we can uh, delay some of these high expense costs to where we can extend it out and maybe find some opportunities for grants um, and other ways out of this versus the big bill that uh, is being proposed. Despite the challenges at the treatment plant, there is much else on Public Works' plate this summer, from fixing the 300 or so cracks on the Lawson bike path to improving ADA accessibility on Main Street. Public Works is also building a mini roundabout at West Pacific Ave and Davis Street by the Siam Restaurant. This version of the roundabout won't be a permanent fixture, says Beck. Um, that'll be a pilot test for about a year, and so it's not going to be a, a complete streets concept. It'll just be a temporary um, design to see how it functions and to see if we're actually going to get that uh, traffic flow relief that we're hoping for, which I think it will. And then we're also requesting from the consultant to provide a final design for that, which will include the stormwater, street crossing, lighting, um, a final concept. Even while Beck presented on building projects to come, contractors for Public Works were already busy milling and paving Main Street, a project which was supposed to wrap up this week. Looking at the forecast, Beck said, it might be difficult to fit it all in. Um, obviously, we're running into some weather this week, and looks like snow, possibly, uh, one to three inches. That's not surprising. <laughs> and lots of rain, so there may be some challenges being some Sunday work, but I think if we can make those opportunities available, it's going to narrow down this window of construction because this is an ideal time. The last thing I want to happen is to have paving operations during kind of our busy season. With such fickle weather, it seems it's a bit early yet to declare the summer construction season upon us. But Becca Shore's council, Public Works, has many tasks lined up for when the time comes. It's no question the climate in Colorado, the United States, and the world is changing. To tackle big challenges like climate change, it can be beneficial to band together. We have 42 members, including Telluride. Telluride was one of the originals. And um, right now we're at 42 members, and we're proud to say that we have three new members, Route County, Larimer County, and Lake County this year. That's Joan May, Outreach Coordinator for Colorado Communities for Climate Action a statewide coalition advocating for stronger state and federal climate policy. This week, CC4CA, as it's called, provided an annual report to Telluride Town Council, largely focused on the recently adjourned Colorado General Assembly. Here's CC4CA Advocacy Director Anita Seitz. There were over 600 bills that were introduced this year at the state legislature, and we evaluated over 80 bills. We took positions on 56... We had 47 witnesses at 29 committee hearings, and we participated in many dozens of stakeholder meetings um, on proposed legislation. 
When it comes to legislation CC4CA supports or opposes, Site says the coalition analyzes each bill based on its policy statement, CC4CA's North Star, when it comes to priorities and goals. As of 10.20 a.m. on May 9th, there were 17 final bill outcomes are what we wanted. So they were either signed by the governor or they died. Um, seven bills we supported were passed by the legislature and signed by the governor, and 10 bills we opposed were killed. We had one bill where the outcome was not what we wanted, um, and 27 of our positions bills have been adopted by the General Assembly, but we're waiting for them to become law with the governor's signature. Seitz says this year, the legislation looked a little different than in the past. In previous years, we've had huge, massive bills that, that you know, had pretty big sweeping changes. This year, it was a lot more um, small targeted bills that will have, you know, the aggregate impact of these different bills will have a very um, important climate impact in Colorado. Um, But it's just a kind of a different uh, end of the legislative session than last year. Seitz highlights several bills, including House Bill 1294, which she says ended up weaker than they had hoped. This is the pollution protection measure bill, um, really dealing with air quality um, and air pollution. It's still a good bill. It passed, um, but it is really parsed down from what it was before. It doesn't have as many teeth um, and will not be as effective as a tool, but at least it's something. Um, And that was a bill that CC4CA worked (laughs) very hard on. A second bill renames the COGCC, the Colorado Oil and Gas Commission, to the Energy and Carbon Management Commission of Colorado. So it has expanded the authority of the COGCC, the Colorado Oil and Gas Commission, to um, cover deep geothermal, underground natural gas storage. Um, It also commissioned a hydrogen study and a pipeline study. Finally, Sites shares a bill looking at water use for oil and gas operations. Operators will now have to publicly disclose how much water they're using for oil and gas operations, where the water comes from, how much was recycled, and where it was just how it was disposed. Um, It'll also do a study looking into increasing the amount of recycled water that is used um, in oil and gas operations. Um, So this is a big step forward. Um, Some states have up to, you know, 90 percent of that produced water recycled. And in Colorado, it's about the inverse. 90 percent is disposed of and not recycled. So we're looking to improve um, the use of water are one of our more precious resources. While the legislative session has wrapped up for the year, CC4CA's next step is updating that policy statement, making sure it's precise enough to be clear, but flexible enough to apply in multiple venues. The document must be approved unanimously by all CC4CA members. The coalition aims to vote on the policy document at its annual meeting later this year. Every river has a story to tell, and every human has an adventure to explore. Next week, the Wilkinson Public Library will be hosting a writing workshop with author Heather Hansman to learn how to turn a river trip, or any trip, into a story. Hansman is the author of books including Downriver and former One Book One Canyon read Powder Days. The workshop will look at structure, flow, scenes, and how to use recreation as a storytelling tool to talk about conversation, personal growth, environmental ethics, and more. There will be two opportunities to participate in the workshop. 
one on Monday, May 16th from 5 to 7 p.m., and a second on Tuesday, May 16th from 10 a.m. to noon. Heavy snow dumped on Wyoming this winter, but an iconic stretch of the Snake River that flows through Grand Teton National Park is still at risk of drying up. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Mersbach reports on federal officials' decision to cut flows this week. Oxbow Bend, a popular overlook on the Upper Snake, could soon look very different. That's because federal managers decided to cut flows from Jackson Lake Dam by more than 80%. The reservoirs downstream are already full, and allowing the river to flow at high volume could mean wasting water though cutting those flows could have drastic consequences for ecosystems in Grand Teton. The state of Wyoming is making up for it by cutting into its emergency water bank, but Wyoming Game and Fish's Alan Osterland says that could run out in just a few weeks. So, of course, it's real concerning to us because if we're going to utilize our whole state account and then that flow goes down to zero and impacts that fisheries, that's the most important thing to us is protecting that fisheries. And right now we don't have the capacity Stakeholders are meeting to consider options like renting more water to fill that gap. Hannah Mersbach, KHL News. According to the American Welding Society, women make up just 5% of the total welding workforce. Utah State University Moab thinks it's due to an accessibility gap. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KZMU's Molly Marcella reports on the university's first welding workshop, just for women. At USU's Moab campus, Joanne is decked out. She's setting aside her face covering helmet as she adjusts her thick, spark-resistant gloves, preparing to grind out her first weld. Push in or forward? Uh, Push it forward. Push it forward. Yeah, not hard. You're right. (laughs) Firing up the angle grinder, Joanne gets to work. Four other women are looking on and encouraging her. One of them is welding instructor Chloe Wilson. She says a lot of welding work is in the details. You need time and a cool head to get things right. Each woman in this group has taken a turn on what's known as deburring, each one moving slowly and methodically. Okay. People say that women make good welders because we're like detail-oriented and patient, and I'm seeing it right here. <laughs> it's true. USU's first Women in Welding workshop was held over four weeks in early spring, funded partially through the university's Center for Intersectional Gender Studies and Research. The workshop aimed to make welding more accessible to women. It's really quite unusual, isn't it, to see a bunch of women doing something like this. That's Joanne, who just finished her turn with the angle grinder. She says she wants to learn skills because she collects antiques and welding could help her repair old pieces. I typically do a lot of woodworking. I've built pieces of furniture and I use a sander. And so I think that it will help me, although I've got probably all the antiques I'm going to buy. <laughs> I'm already an antique myself. <laughs> like Joanne, most women signed up for these welding workshops to add skills in their personal life for repair, construction, or even art. And a few say they're inspired to learn even more. That's kind of what USU and Instructor Wilson are hoping for. According to the American Welding Society, women make up just 5% of the welding workforce. So this industry, the welding industry is 90 to 95% men. 
there's not a lot of female representation in it. That's Wilson. She says it's not because women aren't interested in welding. This women's workshop was so popular, spots filled up in about two days. And over 30 people are on a wait list for future women in welding workshops. To Wilson, this shows a real accessibility gap in the industry. The amount of women that are welding professionally and the amount of women that are interested in having access to this industry and training in this industry, like there's such a big gap there. And so I hope to do what I can in Moab to bridge that gap. As older welding professionals retire, the American Welding Society projects an industry-wide shortage of workers in the hundreds of thousands by 2027. Welding encompasses everything from boiler makers to sheet metal workers, structural metal fabricators and fitters. Wilson herself worked in home construction and sheet metal fabrication. And she says throughout her own education and work experience, she never saw another female welder. I wish that I had had a space like this to train in and had access to female welders and been trained by female welders because the experience as a female welder is just different. I think a lot of women see the men in this industry and don't see a lot of female representation, if any, and so it's intimidating to them because they don't see themselves represented. And so I think that making it women in welding and having a female instructor makes them more comfortable to come in here and know that they're surrounded by women and that it's not intimidating because it's not all men like this industry traditionally is. I've been doing a lot of like women um different courses where it's just specifically for women because of that environment. Carmen just completed a weld on a bike rack. She says learning among women and from a woman in a traditionally male-dominated field does make a huge difference for her. For me at least, I feel comfortable failing. I feel comfortable asking questions. She says welding. It's just always been an interest of mine and I've never had anybody to teach me really. Um, So it's been really nice and Chloe's been so supportive. Her, her attitude about getting women in welding and making it accessible has been um, something I didn't think I'd ever get to experience and I actually signed up for the welding sculpture class this fall. This is exactly what Wilson was hoping for with this workshop, that it would help women become more comfortable with welding, even seek out more skills through standalone specialized classes or by earning their welding certificate. My big hope for them leaving this class is that they have basic foundational skills that they can use at home to build stuff at home and repair stuff at home. And then also I hope that if they had fun here and they liked it, that they will come back for more. In the final class of the Women in Welding workshop, students worked on individual projects. One made an address sign for her home, another a shoe rack, others small metal sculptures. What's exciting to me is that they can make something functional or aesthetic that they can have at home to look at all the time. Something that they'll build in here and be proud of and be able to show off. Yeah, this is the cherry on top. Due to mind-blowing demand, USU Moab says they will offer more women in welding workshops this year. Their standalone and certificate courses are ongoing on the semester schedule. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight with partly cloudy skies and a low around freezing. Friday, there's a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms with mostly sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. The high is near 50 degrees with a low around 30. Saturday, expect partly sunny skies with a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms and a high near 60 degrees. Saturday night should be mostly cloudy, with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low around 40 degrees. 
This has been the news for Thursday, May 11th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hi, everyone. This is Soul with the True North Youth Program. Attention teens living in San Miguel and West Montrose counties. Are you looking for a summer job? Look no further. True North will have a jobs board with positions specific to teens available on our website. These listings will go live on May 12th at 4 p.m. with specific instructions on available positions, who to contact, how to apply, and more. In addition to a 2023 jobs board, True North staff are able to help you prepare a professional and competitive resume, practice interviewing, and explore essential job etiquette tools to help you be successful. You will be able to view the 2023 jobs board on our website at truenorthyouthprogram.org forward slash jobs board. And you can contact True North anytime for support in getting a job at 970-708-1986. Thanks so much. Hola a todos. Soy Sol y trabajo con True North Youth Program. Atención a todos los adolescentes que viven en los condados de San Miguel y Montrose. ¿Estás buscando trabajo de verano? No busques más. True North va a ofrecer un portal de empleo con puestos específicos para adolescentes disponible en nuestro sitio web. Estas listas se publicarán el 12 de mayo a las 4 con instrucciones específicas sobre los puestos disponibles, con quién ponerse en contacto, cómo solicitar un empleo y más. Además del portal de empleo de 2023, el personal de True North te puede ayudar a preparar un currículum profesional y competitivo, practicar entrevistas y explorar formas esenciales de etiqueta laboral para ayudarte a tener éxito. Puedes ver el portal de empleo de 2023 en nuestro sitio web en truenorthyouthprogram.org forward slash jobs board. Y te puedes comunicar con True North en cualquier momento para recibir ayuda en la búsqueda de un trabajo por llamar a 970-708-1986. Muchas gracias. Hey, Telluride, happy off-season. This is Megan Berry, director of Rainbow Preschool and Rockies School Age Program. And I wanted to invite all of you to the Rainbow, Rockies, and Rascals Spring Fundraiser. We'll be having our event this year on Friday, May 19th at the Sheridan Opera House from 5.30 to 9.30 p.m. A $15 ticket will include an awesome silent and live auction with donations from your favorite local businesses, as well as enter you into a 2023-2024 ski pass raffle. Also included in your ticket will be delicious food catered by Patrick Leguenz, live music with Sean Mahoney and Flatliner Express, free champagne while it lasts, and a super fun locals classic community party. Some auction items include a hot air balloon ride for two, a catered dinner for six with wine pairings, sole paddleboard, fine jewelry, festival passes, lodging, home goods, and much, much more. 
So please mark your calendars for May 19th to support the kids and come celebrate with us this offseason. Hope to see you there. Thanks, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.